if, for example, you know, a guy comes in or a kid comes in and stole a bar of soap, do we want to introduce them into the criminal justice system over a bar of soap? Or is this an opportunity for us to intervene and perhaps put this young person on a different trajectory, uh, a path to do something different, right? And what does that look like? listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Black and Blue fam? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. My name is Dale, and I'm the conductor of this little train, taking you to various stories and points of view from minorities in law enforcement. If you like that kind of stuff, go on ahead and click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel, or rated five stars on whatever podcast platform you listen to me on right now. Also, Check me out on any one of my social media pages for even more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so my guest today heads up the police agency responsible for keeping our nation's capital safe. So everybody, let's give a huge Black and Blue welcome to Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Chief Robert Conti III. How you doing, sir? What's up, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you, Bill? Man, I'm I'm great out here in California, but I hear it's uh it's raining cats and dogs out there in, in the DC area. Yeah, a little bit. You sit still for a minute. The weather change up, but uh right now it's raining a little bit, but we good. Okay, all right. I just came back from that area last week dropping off my daughter over at Howard. Oh man, congratulations, man. Thank That's you. That's a Thank great you. institution here in our city, man. And uh I'll definitely look. Obviously, you give me her information. We make sure we check in on her for you. <laughs> for real, I'm, I'm going to make sure she sees that part right there. I'll make sure she sees that part. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the D.C. area, the whole DMV. I got family that lives there, so, uh, aunt and uncle, so they're going to be keeping an eye on her, too. So, But, man, it's really pretty over there. But let me tell you about the traffic. I thought L.A. traffic was bad. I mean, man, that traffic over there in D.C. is a mother. Yeah, man. And, you know, it's, it's you know, we're coming out of COVID and, you know, some people are coming back to work. But, you know, it's it's uh, it gets quite hectic here uh, in the city. And, you know, you have those that mass entry during the daytime with people from Maryland and, and, and Virginia coming into the city. And then you kind of get a mass exodus in the evening time and then people come back for nightlife. So it's a very interesting yeah. dynamic how traffic uh, works here in the city. Yeah, I did like that. One one thing I did notice, though, is that there's no real straight shot anywhere. That's what makes it a little different. Everything goes around the mulberry bush and around this way. So that's that's kind of part of the problem. But, yeah, I, I still like that city a lot. Yeah, it's a great city, man. All right. So are you are you originally from that area? Born and raised right here in Washington, D.C., over in 20, on 21st Street Northeast in a neighborhood called Carver Terrace. Uh, born and raised over there, went to school over there. 
and uh, actually joined the police department while I was living over there. So, yeah, man, I got deep ties in this in this city. Okay, okay. How, how long you been with uh, the Metropolitan PD? So I've been with the Metropolitan Police Department since November of 1989. So over 30 years now. Wow, you a lifer there, huh? Hey, man. Yeah, I know I have boyish looks, man, but uh, I got a lot of miles <laughs> on me, brother. Yeah, <laughs> so, let, 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 me, let me let me show everybody there. <laughs> the chief looks like they. No, you look great. Yeah, you look great. Yeah, I, I used to have hair when I first joined the department, but I think I lost out a few years ago. But it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's good, man. I've been been in this been in this business for a minute. You and me both. I like to say uh, when I first started going bald, it was by choice back during the Michael Jordan era. All of us wanted to look like Mike, so I shaved it off. And now it's kind of like not so much a choice. But <laughs> That's right, man. That's right. But, it's you know, it's all good, man. Um, you know, I, when I joined the police department in 89, I was actually still a, uh, a senior in high school. Uh, we had a, a program at that time for young kids like myself who came from the community but who had an interest in law enforcement. Uh, so they had a program. If you had enough high school credits, you can go to school half day and then you came to the police academy the other half a day and they paid you for that. So I'm like, what? Like, man, I get paid for that. Like, man, you know, this is this is this is it, you know. So wow. uh, for a, a number of different reasons, one, I was motivated to do it uh, Two, just because of the family situation, really a pathway out of poverty, man, uh, was also something that was very uh, attractive to me at that point in my life. I was a 17 year old kid, you know, trying to decide, you know, what am I going to do? I'm getting ready to go out here into the world, get ready to graduate from high school and I need to have a plan. So uh, the Metropolitan Police Department really uh, extended me a lifeline the city i'm in and just owe a debt of gratitude to our great city for that wow that's what's up now was that actually for a police officer in training position or was that some for some other position so it was for a police cadet and our police cadets uh, at the time uh for our police cadets you could be if you entered this program you became a police officer at the age of 20. so if you can imagine for a minute man i was carrying a gun and badge but still was not legally able to drink or anything like that right so i thought it was just an awesome opportunity again for a kid growing up in this city uh to be able to come a police officer in the nation's capital at the age of of 20 uh by going through this program I, it was an awesome thing and I, I don't have any regrets about that no that that sounds great yeah it, we we have a we used to have a cadet program in my department and uh yeah it you had to be 21 though but it was it was more yeah getting them acclimated and then they still had to go to the uh to the academy so but yeah that's a great program sounds like yeah it is so i've expanded the program uh since i've been chief uh, for over a year now uh to include to, it because at one point we got away from our high school kids but we received council uh, funding and funding from the from our mayor to extend the program to to include 150 young people in this program so i'm starting them out for those that are in high school uh, they make about $17 an hour, but once they graduate high school, their salary jumps up to $36,000 a year. They get full benefits, uh, you know, health coverage, the whole nine yards, are able to earn leave. At 17, 18, 19 years of age, you know, we're doing this for the young people uh, who live here uh, in Washington, D.C., and I just think that it's, an, it's one of the best programs uh, in the country in this space, and we compensate our people accordingly. Wow. Wow. I love to hear that. And uh, so you came up in, in the D.C. area your, your whole life. You've been there. Talk about uh, D.C. It's a it's a, a an interesting dichotomy there because you got that whole DMV, you know, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. But D.C. is not a city, not a state. I mean, it's, it's 
history there. History there. Talk talk a little bit about DC. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of history there. Now the first rule would be that people who are originally from DC that are DC people never say they're from the DMV. They're always from DC, right? That's how we rep our city, man. You are from DC, you know, born and raised. Uh, that's that's just what it is. Now we appreciate folks from you know Maryland and Virginia and all that because you know it is a um, a region, and you oftentimes negotiate through or travel through uh, all of the, you know Maryland and Virginia while you're here uh, in the city, living in the city, or your your father or your mother or your relative or your auntie or your brother or somebody you know live in the in the surrounding jurisdictions, man. So it's all really just one big uh, happy family uh, in this uh, area, and a lot of respect, you know, really across the uh, across the boundaries here. Uh, I grew up in a time in D.C. where uh, the crack epidemic really was uh, at its height. You know, I, I grew up, I was bo uh, born and raised here, but in the 80s and 90s when crack was really at its peak here in the nation's capital, man, it was really, really, really bad here. Uh, it was bad for a number of reasons. Uh, we were, you know, like the murder capital uh, of the country. Uh, we lost a lot of lives at one point. Uh, our homicide rate, we were up to almost 500 homicides a year uh, here in Washington, D.C. for a city that had less than, at that time, less than 700,000 residents. But to have 500 murders here, or close to 500 murders here in our city, man, was just, it was it was a crazy time uh, here. And I lived through, you know, lived through a lot of that. Uh, you know, I've told my story before, you know, so it's no, not people are no stranger to hearing me talk about this. You know, not only was it going on outside of the doors of my home, it was going on inside of the doors of my home. My father was addicted to uh, drugs, and I experienced that from a very early uh, age all the way through adulthood, quite frankly. So seeing what, how the impact, the devastating impact of drugs in the house, as well as what was happening in, in the community, man, it was, uh, it was, it was troubling. And really also one of the things that motivated me uh, to become a member of law enforcement, uh, to see how I might be able to impact or influence the things that were happening in my neighborhood where I lived and indeed uh, the things inside of my household with my father. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear because you hear people that are brought up in certain circumstances and they say because of those circumstances and what they've experienced, they went down the same route. But you're saying because of those circumstances, uh, you came up in spite of those circumstances. Oh, absolutely, man. And, you know, I it wasn't just because, you know, I had these great ideas in my mind that I wanted better for myself. Uh, there were teachers who surrounded me, other family members who surrounded me, who encouraged me, uh, you know, to to chart out my own course, right? I mean, you could continue to live a life of poverty. You could, you know, continue to, you know, kind of just uh, duplicate the things that you're seeing all around you, right? Guys who I went to school with in the selling drugs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I you know, you could do that, but, um, you know, that just was not the path uh, for me. And I am so glad that so many of those folks, especially my teachers, man, and it, uh, oddly enough, I'm still in contact with uh, a few of them, uh, at least three or four of them right today. One of my uh, high school teachers, uh, she just texted me the other day and I'm, I'm in constant contact with them uh, about just, you know, life in general. Uh, I'm very appreciative to them. And I'm just, this is one of the ways really that I pay it forward, man, and try to help some young guy who, you know, may grew up in a circumstance just like mine, uh, who I, you never know, you know, might be inspired by a guy 
who grew up in Carver Terrace, who ultimately became the police chief of the police department in the nation's capital, man. I think that, you know, young people will look at that in a day and time where some people are not necessarily interested in law enforcement. Like, hey, man, like maybe I could see myself doing that. And maybe instead of just complaining, maybe I can find myself in a space where I can really influence change, where I could really influence training or I can influence, you know, the, the type of police officers that police in, in, in the communities where I, where I live or where I grew up. So it's a it's a really an honor for me to serve in the role that I am in. Uh, but I didn't get here by myself, man. It was really a lot of folks who really prayed for me and wrapped themselves literally around me with their resources. Uh, you know, my, some of my teachers, I thank them to this day for uh, paying for field trips that my parents couldn't afford for me. But they saw a need and they, they feel the need by going into their own resources uh, to make sure that I was able to attend some of those field trips, man, that exposed me to things outside of my community. Yes, absolutely. That part right there it takes a village, right? It absolutely takes a village, man. And we got to do more of that. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, what I see, and I'm not sure about in your agency, but a lot of times in community, you know, I see people, you know, are very concerned about their own, right? It's no longer about, you know, the community as a whole. There's still those that are out there that are concerned about the community as a whole. But, you know, a lot of times you see people just worried about, you know, their, their little piece of the past, so to speak. And I think that, you know, when we are more concerned about our neighbors and when we're more concerned about our neighbors' children and how they're showing up in community and that kind of thing, man, I think we begin to see better communities when people uh, take concern and they're not, you know, taking a handoff approach or, you know, we don't say anything about that because those are not our kids, man. You know, we have to really think differently if we want to see different outcomes in community. And that takes a whole uh, of community approach. And when I say whole of community, I mean police, I mean community members, I mean business folks. You know, when I was meeting with the target folks a few minutes ago, you know, one of the things that I was talking to them about, you know, they're, they're thinking differently about how they do uh, what they do in the space of loss prevention in their stores and so forth. And really talking about getting to the root of why some of the young people, as an example, or people, period, come into their stores and do some of the things that they do, but not just uh, trying to introduce them into the criminal justice system, but really thinking differently in that space about, you know, hey, look, you know, if if, for example, you know, a guy comes in or a kid comes in and stole a bar of soap, do we want to introduce them into the criminal justice system over a bar of soap? Or is this an opportunity for us to intervene and perhaps put this young person on a different trajectory, uh, a path to do something different, right? And what does that look like? So in this position, when I'm able to have those types of conversations that impact the lives of people, man, that is like the ultimate blessing for me because some person's life is gonna be impacted by decisions that we make sitting around a table uh, every day in, in the different spaces where I operate. Yeah, absolutely. And what and what does that look like? Is it uh, you know maybe offering that that kid a job, getting him resources, so he, you know he or she doesn't have to have to steal that bar of soap later? So it's a little bit of all of that, right? And here there are a couple of realities, right? Just keeping it a hundred because that's just what I do, right? I mean, some people are not ready for a job. That's that's a yeah. fact, right? Yeah, you got to be on you got to be on time for work. You can't come in and treat you know guests or clients or customers you can't just talk to them any kind of way like they're people in the street you know what i mean so you got to get people ready to be employed but what they're saying in the space of uh you know like for example uh instead of calling the police for every time someone steals a bar so um perhaps you know the dollar threshold when they do that you know 
perhaps it's a, when once it's, it's over $250, as an example, is when they may call the police, as opposed to uh, the kid who stole the one bottle. And maybe we approach this differently and try to do some type of um, uh, uh, diversion or something like that. And, and instead of introducing that young person to the criminal justice system. Now, if that person becomes a repeat offender, if you will, or, or, a, re or, a, re or a person who continuously comes into their store and steal, you know, what police resource or outside of the police resource might they connect with that might be able to help that young person with whatever the underlying root cause is. And that might not be a job. It could be something else. It could be that the young person is dealing with a mental health issue or something. I don't know. But they're recognizing at least that it's not just all black and white, right? It's not just you stole, you go to jail. It's not that, right? And for some yeah. people, that might be the thing that that's going to resolve the issue. Some people got to go to jail, but they're at least as a as an enterprise, they're at least looking through a different lens to say, hey, you know, maybe we're not seeing the best outcomes and maybe we need to focus a little differently and we shouldn't call the police 600 times, taking the police out of service to come and deal with the kids still in the bar of soap, right? We we shouldn't have we shouldn't use our police resource that way. We need to be more smart about how we use our police resource and save that for the bigger things. And maybe we internally hire some community outreach folks who can connect with folks in the community that might help impact in this space, man. So again, I, I'm just admiring them for thinking differently. And it's not just about reimagining policing, rethinking how to police do it, defunding the police. It's not about any of that. Here's a corporation saying, hey, let us see how we might be able to help in this space because we are, as a corporation, you know, subjected to, you know, theft and all the other things that come with, you know, some of the stuff that we see happens in community that oftentimes involve law enforcement. Let us see how we might be able to help, man. And I, I just think that that is that's awesome. dude. Yeah, it really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's different because you would think, you know, bottom line is their business and they're, and they're out right. there to try to make profit so they can stay afloat. But Absolutely. if they can think of different ways to to kind of help combat that problem uh, for themselves and for the community at large, and I'm all for it. Yeah, man. So this is new for them. It's new space for them. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, people look at outcomes, right? Like anything. You're going to look a year from now to see you know, what does, you know, what does your, your, your theft rate, I, I would imagine the company that operates in that space, you know, have we, have we, have we lost more or lost less? You know, have we sent more people to jail a lot? Have we called the police more or not? I think they'll be really kind of looking at all of those different measures to see if it's something that they want to continue to do. But just the fact that they're looking at being more relational and not just transactional when it comes to dealing with people, uh, my hat's off to them as a business for even thinking along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. And another aspect, you know, I kind of touched on that uh, during the, the, the prologue there is that uh, you were in the nation's capital and you you were charged with keeping keeping that safe. And that's not just the uh, the citizens, but that's, you know, all the visitors that come through and all the politicians and, and all that. But that must be a task, right? Yeah, it is a task. I mean, you figure here in the nation's capital, you have the president of the United States, you have the vice president of the United States who reside here. Uh, in Washington, D.C., and they don't move from place to place without the assistance of the Metropolitan Police Department. Every foreign dignitary that comes to our city, uh, obviously we have Congress here, you have Supreme Court justices here, uh, you have the seat of government essentially here uh, in our nation's capital. And the minute anything happens, you know, an issue, you know, great or small, you know, those that one issue can garner national and international attention uh, at 
at, at any turn. So uh, we always have to be on our best game every day. Uh, we have to work collaboratively with our partners uh, from the other federal agencies, FBI, Secret Service, uh, U.S. Park Police, U.S. Capitol Police. Uh, we have to collaborate with these guys in the work that we do. Uh, there's no one agency or entity that gets it done all by themselves here in Washington, D.C. It certainly is a collaborative effort, and uh, we've just, we've been in it in it for a while with each other and we've worked in this space man to really uh, make washington dc a safe city now while we do deal with the obvious issues of crime like most of the major cities you know across this country uh, it's the added things you know we had a truck convoy uh, when you have uh, civil unrest or people upset about the, the supreme court decisions and you have you know immediate uh, response to that or people decide that they want to come from all across the country and world to come here to Washington, D.C. to, to, um, to uh, express their First Amendment rights, we have to be in a position uh, of preparedness to be able to safely deal with those situations, man. And while it gets, uh, it gets hectic at times, uh, it, it, I believe that we are one of the best in the business at doing it. Yeah, because that's a 24-7 thing. You know, mm -hmm. I know it happens, you know, a lot out here in L.A., a lot in New York, and definitely out there. And, you know, I was talking about, you know, my daughter out there going to Howard, you know, part of what she wanted to be part of that mix of, uh, you know, social justice and, and being out there. And when things and she was really passionate about uh, Roe v. Wade and that and, uh, she was still here during when that decision came out. But I'm sure that was that was a lot going on that you guys had to deal with when that decision came out. No doubt, man. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I want your daughter to be safe if she decides to go and exercise her First Amendment rights. You know, it's not about the police, you know, bulldozing over people who want to express their First Amendment rights. You know, it's understanding that, you know, in our country that we as law enforcement officers, we're certainly going to uh, be facilitators of people's First Amendment rights. You know, we don't want to find ourselves in situations where, you know, we're battling and then riot gear and all that. Kind of, I mean, that, all that equipment is, you know, that stuff is hot to begin with, right? And we, I mean, right. we, we're not we're not trying to unnecessarily find ourselves in that in that in that space, man. But I want people to be able to enjoy our city. Uh, after they express their First Amendment rights, enjoy our restaurants and hotels and just all the all the beautiful things that this city has to offer, man. Washington, D.C. is one of the most beautiful places, in my opinion, uh, in our country, man. It really absolutely is. And the fact that the, it is the people's city, the people of our country that, you know, there are free museums all throughout our city that people can just walk into and enjoy themselves. I mean, and there's a lot of places in the country where you can't do that free of charge, man. But I want people to be able to enjoy that and feel safe while they're doing it in our city, in whatever neighborhood they happen to be in. So it's an awesome charge, an awesome responsibility. Uh, but being a hometown kid, I'm certainly up for that challenge. And uh, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you coming up with the with the within the department as a as a local kid and you've seen the changes from, you know, the crack epidemic of the 80s all the way up to now. What, what kind of spurred that change to you guys to kind of get a handle on that? So a lot of things happen, um, you know, and, and there are good and bad things that, that happen, you know, with the war on drugs. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people that look like you and I went to prison uh, during that time. And I'm not saying that 
that people uh, didn't deserve to go to prison. But I think, you know, in terms of some of the things that people went to prison for in that time, you know, we can debate about how effective that was, uh, you know, looking back now with the ability of hindsight, looking back 30 years to see, you know, was it an effective strategy uh, or not? You know, I think that you will find people who, who will argue, you know, both sides of that coin. But I think, you know, what we've learned along the way is that you have to be strategic uh, in your um, in your strategies and t- to, to fight crime. But I think we've also learned that it's not just a police issue uh, when you talk about safe communities. It is really an all-involved um, uh, issue. And when government is involved to include the police and community is involved and business involved and everybody is on the same page, that's when you see safe communities. It's when we are are not all in sync, when we're not all on the same page. And you got people on the one hand saying, well, we don't need the police. And you got this group over here saying, well, we do need the police. And then you got the police kind of standing in the middle and everybody's kind of divided and got their lines in the sand where I think you don't, you know, that's where you don't experience communities as safe as they can possibly be. You know, I want officers to feel, um, like they are supported by the communities that we serve. I want officers uh, to feel like when they're going out here um, doing police work, legitimate police work, making our community safer, that they have the support of our communities. Our police officers, they should feel that when they're out here doing the work, but they also should understand that when they're not uh, upholding the law and they are doing things that are not representative of what our agency represents, that there has to be accountability in that space as well. The community demands it, I demand it, uh, and I don't think that some of the things that I saw back in the 80s and 90s of what law enforcement agencies did, I don't think those things are acceptable uh, right now. You know, heavy handed tactics, that kind of thing. I don't think that those things are effective and I don't think that they're acceptable. But I also don't think that people firing guns indiscriminately in communities are is acceptable either. And we have right. to be equally yeah. aggressive in that space as we talk about accountability with law enforcement and all that kind of stuff. We have to be equally vocal, equally uh, focused on bad actors who make our communities less safe. And when we all are doing that together, when everybody is focusing on it, that's when you see safe communities. That's when you see reductions in crime and that kind of thing, because everybody is going north. We all understand what that north star is, and that's where we're headed. But when we're not, man, you get divisiveness and, you know, people on different pages. And I, and in my 30-some years, man, I just seen that, that that's the least effective of making neighborhoods safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what uh, what does your department look like? What what's what's the strength in numbers? I know you're hurting for bodies just like everybody else around the country. Um, and and what's the, what's the city of D.C. look like as far as the numbers and, and diversity and population? Yeah. So our city um, for police officers, we're at about three thousand four hundred and eighty some officers right now. Uh, that's where we are on um, uh, about two years ago. Uh, almost two years ago, we were about at 3,800. So that shows you just kind of in that very short period of time with retirements, primarily retirements is the reason that our number uh, is where it is right now, coupled with the fact that uh, there was an intentional decision to stop hiring uh, at a certain point for about a year. And that was, uh, you know, through, you know, 
uh, legislation and all, a, a whole bunch of other politics and other things that were involved that put us in that space, which was not a good space for us to be in because it's going to take us you know, several years to really climb out of this, especially where you simultaneously have still have retirements that are happening uh, and we're trying to attract new officers, retain officers and the like. Uh, it is very difficult to do that uh, with the young people, the, the, the folks that are out there now that we're trying to attract the law enforcement, they're different from when I joined the police department. Our workforce is more educated now, definitely more educated. The people who come to our department are now, on average, they have a four-year degree. And what does that mean? How does that translate? That means that they're not here because they have to be here. They're here because they choose to be here. And in this space, especially coming out of COVID, where you see people transitioning to different jobs, people want to telework, people want to do things that put them closer to their kids, where they don't have to necessarily go into an office. You know, law enforcement is not necessarily the type of profession, as you well know, where you can telework and you can do all of those things. So people are making very intentional choices, right? Not just in the policing field, but in, in several different disciplines, people are making intentional choices in that space. They want more of a social life. And unfortunately, with a shrinking workforce, it's very difficult for officers to have, you know, a meaningful uh, social life with, with consistency that doesn't include, you know, us being called to duty because of a decision that happens in the Supreme Court or a presidential movement or something else that's happening that requires us here in the nation's capital to perhaps respond differently than another city might. Because we're on high alert, you know, here in Washington, D.C., doesn't mean, you know, Newark, New Jersey is going to be on high alert because it's just different different things that may be happening uh, in that space versus in this space. And we have to be in a posture of preparedness. You know, as an example, you know, there was a huge truck convoy that happened in uh, in Canada a couple of months back that shut down a lot of their commerce. And I mean, just a, a whole situation that the police chief ended up losing his job up there uh, as a result of things that were going on. And we had truckers who wanted to come here to the nation's capital and they wanted to blockade the city and they wanted to protest and they wanted to do all these things. And, you know, we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't have that. And and our response to that, it took resources from our department to ensure that we had a safe city, to ensure that, you know, our city was not overtaken by truckers, to ensure that, you know, people, commerce was still able to make its way uh, into the city and out of the city. And I mean, just so many things tied to that, man. And, and, and I am very intentional in that space in terms of how we you know leverage and utilize our resource so with the 3480 some officers that we have over 600 civilians or professional staff members that we have we have to be very wise in how we use those resources but we're still recruiting we're still hiring we're offering our, our officers a twenty thousand dollars signing bonus if they come here to work in washington dc uh six thousand dollars uh, for the year uh for if they decide to live in washington dc we'll give them a six thousand an additional six thousand dollar incentive uh we're hiring a class every month uh, we have one of the best processes uh, in terms of screening for police officers uh, uh one of the best process because it's efficient i mean we can get it done on average in about three and a half, maybe four months uh, from the time you start the process to the time that you are hired. Uh, so we are hiring, man, and we're looking for great officers who want to protect. You know, this is while I, I'm, I was born and raised here, but this is really and I look at it through this lens. This is a, Washington, D.C. is an international city. We have people here from all over the world, man, literally here in this city and our police mm -hmm. department 
is a reflection of that, right? Our police department is diverse. Uh, we have one of the highest percentage of women in our uh, in our ranks. Uh, we're, right now, we're at twenty three percent of of females in our ranks of the police department, with a goal of being at thirty percent by tw by twenty thirty. That's head and shoulders above a lot of police departments. We're over fifty percent African American uh, in our police department. You know, so I mean, there are a lot of good things that are happening here in the nation's capital, man. And for people who are interested in a, in a career in a dynamic city, man, you know, the residents, you, you talked about the demographics of the city, you know, with the population of the city, people who live here is about 700,000, but you add in the people who come from Virginia and Maryland every single day, the population, and then for the nightlife, you know, the pot, and then the kids who are at Howard and Georgetown and George Washington University, you know, I mean, we got some, uh, we got some great schools here in the city. That population easily exceeds a million people in our city every single day, man. So dynamic city, a dynamic workforce, man, and just one that I'm blessed to lead, man. Absolutely. But do you find, and, and this is just a DC problem, but this is a, a big city problem like New York and LA and, and DC and Dallas and all that, that, uh, you know, officers that work for your, your agency necessarily don't want to stay there. Uh, because it is, you know, big city with big problems and maybe they want to go to, you know, uh, an agency next door with, you know, maybe a, sl a slower pace, uh, better bennies, better pay, all that sort of stuff. Do, do you always have to have to deal with that problem? So it's something that, you know, that you keep in mind. Um, my, you know, my thought is that people who come to the big cities, those that you mentioned as an example, you know, they want to be the real police, man. That's not, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not speaking, speaking ill of anybody, you know, any other agency. But the reality is you're going to have some people who are going to say, hey, you know, you know, I joined the department at this point and, you know, I kind of like what I see on TV. I really wasn't signing up for all this other stuff that happens in that space. So you'll lose some. Sure, you'll lose some in that space. But the law enforcement community is really a, a very small world. Uh, what I oftentimes see in my position as chief, let's say a person will leave this department and go to another department. And then four months later, I'm getting a letter saying, hey, uh, I really would like to come back. You know, I, essentially, I thought the grass was green on the other side. And my response is the water, the water bill is higher on the other side as well. Right. <laughs> but people, people, you know, people sometimes will leave the agency and then really get out of here and figure out that, hey, look, I miss it. It was a great department. You know, I want to come back. You know, is there an opportunity for me to, to come back? In some instances, we're able to accept people back. In some instances, we're not able to accept people back. But uh, I count that really as a testament to the type of agency we are when we have people knocking back at the door to get in. Man. And that happens quite often, more often times than not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, we're talking about we were talking about, uh, you know, reaching out into the community uh, kind of off air. We, we were talking about the, a band that uh, your department has and how they kind of influenced you. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we have, when I was in uh, school, when I was in school, elementary school, uh, we had what was called a side-by-side -side band. It was a police side-by-side -side band. And uh, at all the elementary schools every year, every the kids, we look forward to this band of police officers in uniform showing up at the school. And, you know, you had a dude, guy on the drums, 
police officers singing, somebody playing the bass guitar, somebody playing the roller tom, somebody playing the congo. And it was like, man, they're like humans, right? Like these are police officers, real people, moms and dads. But they up here in this band and we like, you know, we like grooving to whatever it was they were doing. And so several years ago, uh, about four, maybe about four or five years ago, the band had been had been off the circuit for a while now. But uh, people in community really. Hey, when is the police side by side band coming back? When is the police side by side band coming back? So really, in response to to members of the community, uh, we we relay we had started a band, but we relabeled it uh, to the side by side band and uh, and they've been playing in, in our schools. They've been playing in community at various community events. I got a, a senior citizen called me up on a Friday. It was like, hey, can I get the side by side band for this Sunday at an event that they were having at a church? I'm serious. But she called on. It was the Thursday or Friday of last week. We were able to work it out and, uh, you know, and get them out there, you know, because they, they love being in community, man. I certainly love every opportunity that I get to see them perform, see them in community, uh, doing what they do and how the people respond to them. It's a beautiful thing to see, man. That's really building that connection, building that collaboration with community members. And it's doing it through a universal language of music. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Now, are they a cover band or do they do original stuff? So they pretty much are a cover band. Uh, most of the stuff that they do is, you know, stuff that we hear on the radio or, or go-go music as we have here in Washington, D.C. They got a couple of those, you know, on, on the list and everything, man. Um, they, I haven't heard any original pieces, but, you know, now that you put it out there, I think I might challenge them on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and maybe you can get uh, some of them, to, uh, maybe a rapper in the, in the band, get a DJ in the band and all that. Yeah, so we got that in there, man. We got a rapper, oh, really? we got a DJ, we got we got a girl who she about this big, but she can she can really sing her tail off, man. She is incredibly talented, and um, they just like I said, they do an incredible job, man. You know, people in the community are able to vibe with them on all ages, and it's you know for a lot of residents, man, it's nostalgic, right? It's if they grew up here in D.C., they know who the side by side. You don't, they don't need no introduction, right? They know who they are. And uh, when you see that collaboration, uh, again, it's not, oh, that's the police and, you know, and we're over here. It's, you know, everybody really kind of coming together, man, and enjoying themselves uh, in, in, in our city, man. And that's what it's about. I have such an appreciation for that. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. I was telling you that there's a video of you up there on stage with them grooving. So uh, yeah, if I can get that video, I'm going to show that. But uh, you, you, <laughs> you having a good time up there with them. So, you know, interestingly enough, man, I was just we had just come off of a, a peace walk. Uh, we were out in community um, walking. Uh, we had walked from uh, Congress Heights Metro Station to this location where they were. And I, I was just part of the of the peace walk. It wasn't my walk. It was a community initiative. And that's where we ended up where the uh, where the band was playing. So at some point um, while I'm there. They asked me to come up on stage, man, and say a few words to the to the members of the community. And the band just happened to be in a good groove. And if you're from D.C., you know, I mean, we have a special love for go-go. That's not everybody's flavor, and I certainly get that. But uh, that that it was just it, it it was just deep in there, man. And, and yeah. um and, and the time just seemed uh, appropriate, man, to just vibe with my people, man. And I and I enjoyed every minute of it. A minute of it, you know. In this crazy world, you have so much 
uh, negative stuff that you see out there online, police community interactions, man. And if that that got a lot of um, a lot of play on social media the, and the news here locally, I mean, I, it wasn't to, for it to, to 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 for it to make it to those circles. We were just having fun, and uh, and people, uh, uh, I guess, took a liking to it and pushed it out there, man. So I'm just appreciative that we have communities in Washington D.C that has a chief of police uh, who can just keep it a hundred with them and be real with them. And they, you know, they show love, man. I was, just, when I was at the target, you know, they, I'm going up the escalator, somebody coming down, they're like, Hey, they go to chief. And, you know, I mean, people just want to, they want to talk and they want to kick it. And they want to talk about what's happening in these streets, man. And that's real because a lot of times you are a picture on the wall for some people or a person they see on the TV. But when you're a person that they can see and they can touch and they can communicate with and, and see that you kind of understand like where they coming from, right? What they going through and your story is like theirs, man. That's a different level of connection, man. And I don't, you know, I don't take that lightly whatsoever, man. I love our communities here in Washington, D.C. We are a resilient city. And while we do, like a lot of the major cities, you know, we struggle at times with things that happen in our city, man. I've seen the best that the city has to offer, man. And I know, I know that collectively it's nothing that we can't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I love that. And that's probably part of why I, I put this show together is to show the community that, you know, we are people and, and we like the same things that you like and we dislike some of the same things that you dislike and, you know, all that you know, go-go music and all that, you know, for, 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 for some of the viewers and listeners out there that, that aren't familiar with go-go music and that's like, what, EU, if, if you remember the song, Doing the Butt. And, and people that what's another one? I think Chuck Brown yeah, is, is he one of Chuck Brown? Of course, yeah. yeah, man. Those are a lot of the a lot of the, the greats, man. That um, that have done it. Uh, you know, Backyard Band is still out there playing. I love Backyard, man. We've got a number of bands uh, here in D.C. Uh, over the years, man. That just keep keep Go Go alive uh, in our city. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know there have been times where um, you know sometimes bad behavior at uh, some of the go-go events overshadow uh, the music itself. And I think, you know, you, you can't, you know, you, you got to separate the music from, you know, bad actions that happen sometime with people. Uh, when, when we have these events, we had an event a couple of months ago, uh, unfortunately, that turned uh, violent and, you know, and somebody, uh, somebody lost their life and one of our police really? officers got shot. Yeah, one of our police officers got shot. And again, it wasn't about it wasn't about the music. I mean, people were out there on Juneteenth. People were out there having a good time. But sometimes, you know, the elements come together and that's not good. And, uh, you know, we just have, again, we have to stay on our grind as a law enforcement agency, as a community to say, hey, look, it's just certain stuff we ain't going to tolerate in our city. And when we want to do things where we all come together, we can't be having no foolishness, man, or tomfoolery happening, you know, in the space where people just trying to show love to each other, man. Get, you know, we need to get out of here with all that craziness, man. And I, and I yeah. think, again, yeah. that's a message that we collectively, you know, nobody wants to go to an event and not feel safe, not the police, not the citizens. You know, I don't want my mama at some event that's not safe, you know, and I'm sure the next person don't either. But, you know, when when when, when people show up or the elements show up and they do things and start acting out, man, that are, and doing things that are not in the spirit of what it is we're trying to do, we got to call those things out for what they are and and, and definitely admonish that bad behavior. No doubt. You, I, I wouldn't think that go-go music would be would be part of that element you know that this that's like feel good music right there and, you know but it's funny it i did yeah, yeah i it actually is saw so someone uh 
I saw something on TV one. Maybe it was an unsung or something. A, a whole piece they did. I think it was like a two or three part uh, uh, show about uh, go go music yeah. and and the violence that that accompanied it uh, a while back in the in the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, it was it was a trip. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did, man. And like I said, the reality is because music is universal, it bring all people together, and it doesn't mean you know all people who like each other. <laughs> you understand what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, you, right. you can have people from different communities who all enjoy Go-Go, but end up at the same place, right? They could all enjoy Kenny G and they could all end up at the same place, you know, probably unlikely, but I'm saying if, because Go-Go <laughs> is such a cultural city thing, right? It's, 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 it's in the fabric woven within the fabric of the city, you know, it will attract people from, you know, People who recently come to our city, people who've been in our city for a long time, I mean, it has that impact. And when you get all of that together, sometimes you can have not so good outcomes if the wrong people are there who are there for different reasons. They're not there because it's the feel good thing. They're there, you know, and now here's their opportunity, you know, to settle some dispute, man. That detracts so much away from, you know, I believe to what I believe is really the heart of go-go music, man. I mean, people who truly love go-go, man, you know, it, it, it runs deep for them. It really does. And while we've had stuff in the past that has happened, man, I think you got a lot of the people who are still in the, on the, in the, um, uh, who are in that, uh, space, uh, of, of go-go music, man, who will definitely put that positive message out there in community, man. Like we don't, you know, they'll stop a show or whatever. Like, Hey, one fight, good night. You got to go get out of here, you know, kind of thing. Cause we don't want the, yeah. we don't want the bad, the bad stuff that come along with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what, what's the, the next three years or so look like for you, uh, chief? I don't know. We'll see, man. You know, I mean, I'm here in Washington, D.C., and I love uh, being the chief of police here in our nation's capital, man. But, you know, the average tenure of a major city chief is two to five years. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm at the point uh, where uh, I am eligible for retirement and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't see that, you know, happening immediately or anything like that. You know, I want to keep on doing what it is I got to do and blessing my city and being part of everything that's happening here in Washington, D.C. until it's my time to pass on the torch, man. So, you know, I, I look at things really kind of, you know, in six month windows, right? Like, hey, where are we? And what's the I mean? Strategically, we're looking at a five years. But in terms of just kind of how I, I run, you know, kind of run the day to day of what's going on, man, you know, I want to stay focused in this space. I got to be honest with you. I mean, this is it, it's a lot of stress associated with it. It's a lot of time away from family that's associated with it. I have a nine year old son who's depending on me. My, I got a daughter who's getting ready to go off to college and to be present here doing what I'm doing here means I'm absent from there. So those are decisions as well that weigh into, you know, what I'm going to be doing in the next three years. You know, where am I, where am I on the family side of things? You know, are my kids doing well? Do they need more dad time or are they good? You know, that could weigh heavily into, you know, any next steps that I take from here, man. But right now I'm yeah. just enjoying being the chief of the Metropolitan Police Department, one of the highest uh, honors, uh, in my opinion, for a kid growing up in this city, man. And again, I'm just blessed, uh, blessed to have been selected to be the chief of the nation's capital, man. Yeah, yeah. So you say you got a nine-year-old at home? Wow, that's that's a lot of work right there. Yeah, man, it's a lot of work right there. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, in, in this work that we do, you oftentimes find people who put, you know, career uh, at the forefront early on. And I mean, I moved up the ranks of the police department really fast. 
And in that, there's a lot of sacrifices that come along with that. So, you know, really kind of early on in the game, being able to 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 uh, to do that, not necessarily the most ideal situation. Uh, but now when I find myself in this in this situation with a, with a nine year old. Uh, I have to be thinking about him. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I want. It's not just about you know, oh, you know, just, you know, uh, being in this in this prestigious position, not about any of that. It's really about, you know, how in my life, how is this um, how is this working out for me and for my family? My family is very important to me and they weigh heavily into my decisions as I move forward. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, I thank you for coming on to the show, Chief, man. This is this is a great conversation. I appreciate it. But uh, like I told you before we got started, I'm not going to let you go yet because I got uh, some trivia here for you. So let me get okay. that set up for you here. This game here is called... Uh, black or blue? 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 All right, Chief, this is my black or blue game. And today your category is... DC babies, DC babies. That means famous people born in the Washington DC area. So I'm just going to okay. show you a celebrity. You just tell me where they born in DC or not. All right. That seems pretty simple. Let's hopefully we can get you through this unscathed. Your first person here is, uh, how about Taraji P. Henson? Is she from DC? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. She is. Yes. And, uh, and she went to Howard too, right? Absolutely. And blue. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Off to a good start. How about your next one here? How about LeBron James? Is he from uh, D.C.? No, sir. No, he is not. Uh, he's from Akron, Ohio. I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio, so that area there. But he is definitely not from the D.C. area. How about Marvin Gaye? Is he from uh, D.C.? Absolutely. Yeah, he, yeah, you know your D.C. people. He is from D.C. I didn't know that till I researched it, but yeah, he's from D.C., yeah. How about uh, Al Gore? Is he from the D.C.? I don't think so, man. If he is, that's my first time hearing it. Yeah, that's at least, at least according to Google, he is from D.C. He was born at uh, in one of the hospitals there in D.C. Oh, right. really? Yes, oh, sir. man, okay. All right, fair <laughs> enough, man. All right. We'll get you back on track. How about uh, Matt Damon? Matt Damon. No oh, man, he's up New England somewhere, man. Yeah, Boston. he's from he's from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the Boston area. So we all know that one. How about uh, Prince? Is Prince from from uh, DC? No, not from DC. Nah, we know that he's from, from Minneapolis. We all know that one, the purple one. I love me some Prince. How about Connie Chung? Is she from DC? might be i don't know man they got me on that one bro she might be she might be. we got a lot of political folks that come through here she might be i don't know sound like you said that she is and she is from yeah. dc yeah. yeah we got a lot of political folks here man all right a couple more here for you how about stephen colbert uh that would be a new one on me i don't think so nah, that would be wrong he is from dc he, he was born born and raised over there in dc only a couple wrong here for you a couple more how about Samuel L. Samuel Jackson? I don't think so. No. Oh, come on, Chief. He is. He is from DC. Where was he born? That look, we got. We got. We might. I might have to challenge on some of these, man. <laughs> See, for the people qualifying as from DC, what does that mean, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was. He was born. He was a. He was born in a baby in DC. 
Hey, look, look, hey, look. I told you about that DC, Maryland, Virginia thing, right? You got people calling DC, man. Claiming DC, but he's really from Virginia, right? Yeah, 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 man. That, that, that reminds me of an old uh, Ice Cube lyric from uh, one of his songs when he was, when he was beefing with NWA. He was say, saying, uh, Yelling Compton, but you live in Riverside. Which oh, is man. Oh, man. <laughs> That's real uh, talk, though. Real yeah, talk. how about how about the, uh, my man Christopher Maloney from uh, SVU, Law and Order SVU? If he is, man, I, I yeah. look. If he, he giving you a hint, giving you a hint there. Okay, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yes, he is. Look, man, I like to see some of these cats, man. Actually, you know, coming back around and depositing something in these communities, man. They've been yeah. missing for a minute, man. Yeah, That'd be a good thing. Man. They all we they all see- out here in LA now. We do see Taraji from time to time, though, man. But it'd be good to see some of these other folks, man, back home giving it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your last one here, how about Sophia Vergara? Is she from D.C.? No, I don't think so. No, she is not. That was an easy one. She's from Barranquilla, Colombia. If you said she was born in one of our hospitals, man, again, I would have to challenge that one. (laughs) <laughs> no, you, you got more right than you got wrong, so we're going to call you the winner. Oh, man, that's what's up. Everybody hands go up. <laughs> All right, Chief, man, I appreciate you being a good sport on that one. Uh, oh, you leave, yeah, leave us with some uh, words of wisdom for my viewers and listeners here before we get you out of here. Hey, man. Well, hey, look, I appreciate the opportunity, first of all, Dale, just to come on and, and kick it with you for a little bit, man. You know, law enforcement, uh, I believe that we are certainly uh, at a time where uh, we are needed more so now than ever uh, in the history that I can recall of, uh, of modern day law enforcement. But we can't do it all by ourselves. Uh, there are communities that are out here that are depending on us. Uh, now is not the time for us to let up off the gas pedal. Now is not the time for us to turn a blind eye. We have to be equally committed uh, to this profession that I know we all love uh, so very much uh, in an effort to see safer communities, man. And nobody can do it by themselves. Uh, while the road ahead of us uh, may be difficult, uh, if anybody can can really pull this thing off, it's our law enforcement officers working with communities that are going to be able to really uh, realize uh, the safety, the safer communities that I know uh, that we will see in our major cities across the country, man. Uh, lastly, I will say that oftentimes, man, as I search, you know, around the different spaces and places, the one thing that I have learned uh, in any community that I go to is that people respond differently depending on their proximity to the pain. And when they are very close to the pain, uh, that's when you probably have folks' attention. And that's the time, really, one of the moments that I think law enforcement officers across this country, where we have to seize the moment. We have to seize the moment, collaborate with communities in order to really be at our best self, to be out, to do our best work. And I see that happening more and more often all across communities, all across our country. Uh, people are saying we're tired. We had enough. We want safer communities. Uh, we don't want to hear about defunding the police. We want to hear about refunding the police. And at that to that extent, while we have momentum, I feel really swinging back in in favor of our law enforcement officers. We cannot give up on our communities, and we really have to be there to support them and make our community safer. So, thank everybody for tuning in, brother, and I appreciate you giving me this platform uh, just to share some few words, some some words with your listeners, man.
Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on to the show. Great words of wisdom. And uh, you be safe out there in D.C. And when the rain comes down, you know, stay, stay out dry. And we had to get my daughter an umbrella because she didn't bring an umbrella. So we Amazoned her an umbrella. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't get much of that out here in L.A. So I know that's right, man. I'll be sure to look you up next time I come out there and visit with Chief Moore, man. I'll make sure I look you up, brother. All right. You take care, Chief. I appreciate you. Right. Take care, right. man. You got it. Yes, yes, yes. Now that was off the chain. Thank you, Chief Conti, for coming on to the show and letting us know how you guys do it out in D.C. If you guys out there love this conversation as much as I did, click that like button right down here on my YouTube channel. I rated five stars on your podcast platform of choice. I'll be back real soon with another great conversation with a minority in U.S. law enforcement. Same black time, same black channel. But till then... Stay black and blue. I'll holla at you. Peace. This has been a Nature Day Entertainment presentation.